world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture for this morning is Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. We're reading um, from page 998 in the Black Bible in front of you. If you'll please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, worshiping Jesus with us this morning. Um, As you can see, um, we are out of that little short two-week sermon series um, that we uh, went through. We hit pause in our study of the book of Titus, and we uh, took two weeks leading up to Easter to sort of uh, pose before us the phrase and ask the question, what is at the heart of making disciples? And so now that we are done with that, we're going to go back into Titus, and specifically, we're going to concentrate on verses 9 through 14. And so before we get started this morning, we're going to hit pause, we're going to pray, we're going to ask for uh, God to empower the preaching of His Word, and then what we're going to do is turn our attention starting in verse 9. So why don't you guys uh, join me in prayer? God, our prayer is simple this morning. We ask that you would empower the preaching of your Word so that we would not hear merely the words of a man. We don't need to hear just merely the thoughts of of my head. What we need to do is hear the very words of Christ himself through the Apostle Paul, specifically Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and following. God, empower the preaching of your word. We believe in the ability of the Holy Spirit to empower and demonstrate God's power. And so that's what we ask that you would do this morning through something as simple as how God's grace affects the way we think about work and understand our work. God, do this for your son's sake and for the fame of his name so that we may leave here boasting all the more in the cross of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've ever had a cause to dread Monday morning, most likely it's because you had to get up and go to work on Monday morning. In 1966, it was the music group, the Mamas and the Papas, who told us this, Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. Monday, Monday, it just turns out that way. Oh, Monday, Monday, won't go away. Monday, Monday, it's here to stay. Every other day of the week is fine, but whenever Monday comes, you can find me crying all the time. 
And for most of us, Monday morning ushers in this sort of low-grade despair because we view work as a drudgery. And we know that when we get up on Monday morning, we've got to turn around and we're heading somewhere. We are heading into work. But in our text this morning, Paul is going to address the issue of how God's grace is actually capable, able to turn our work from a drudgery into a delight. Now, if you remember, throughout Titus chapter 2, Paul has been laboring to show us that once a person is saved by grace, God continues to transform this person by His grace. So not only does God's grace transform something as basic as our manhood and our womanhood, if you'll remember, this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago before we went in that little two-week sermon series. Paul was working through how God's grace affects the lives of older men, older women, young men, younger women. And talking about how God's grace transforming us from the inside out, what that looks like in the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. So Paul took time to say, listen, God's grace does have a legitimate transforming power in our lives. But now as Paul transitions from talking about sort of like gender and age and how God's grace addresses those categories in the church, he switches into verse 9, and he actually is going to talk about how God's grace from the inside out can transform as something as simple as our work, the way we think about work and the way we go about our work. See, we all have the role of making God real to someone else in our lives. And Paul shows us that it is possible to do this very thing, to make God real to someone else in our lives in something as simple as the way God's grace transforms our work. So when you go into Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 9, Paul turns our attention to the grace-fueled behavior of work. The grace-fueled behavior of work. So in your copy of Scripture, starting off in verse 9, Paul writes this, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So now as we turn our attention to these first couple verses, before we start unpacking them, we need to at least say this. Some of our translations have the word bondservants there. Some of our translations might have the word slaves. And so when Paul says bondservants or slaves are to be submissive to their own masters, what we just need to understand before we continue on this morning is that Paul is not turning a blind eye to the issue of slavery. It's not like Paul was here going, you know, like this is a great institution. It's really, really good. It's super beneficial. It's something that we really need. He's, he's not standing there saying that as he begins to address even people within the church who were bondservants or slaves when he says, listen, it is right for you to be submissive and to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith. He's not sitting there putting his stamp of approval on the institution of slavery, somehow turning a blind eye to this matter. The Bible is clear that slavery as a form of work is a sinful and wicked distortion of what work is supposed to be. And so Paul's call for bondservants to submit to their masters, it does not assume the goodness of slavery. 
Now, it's true, in these two little verses here, Paul does not denounce slavery outright. But as he teaches about the transforming power of God's grace, what he's doing is he's laying the groundwork for the undoing of slavery from the inside out. Paul, in these verses, he turns the table on the institution of slavery by placing it into eternal perspective. So for those who found themselves under the authority of another person, Paul is saying, listen, the gospel really does have something to say to your situation. Like you're not just some sort of subclass of people that are just there who are meant to do the menial jobs that no one else wants to do. He's saying there is actually room for you at the table if you find yourselves as a bondservant or a slave who has been saved by God's grace. You are folded into the family of God. You are welcome in the church. And the gospel has something to say to you as one who has been saved by grace. God's grace is meant to produce grace-fueled work that provides an opportunity for gospel proclamation. This is the change of perspective that Paul is now bringing. He's showing them, listen, it's not like you just simply have someone in authority over you, and it's just your job to sort of go about grumbling, just sort of like bearing with the person who has authority over you. You No, he's saying there is a change. There is a way to see your work move from drudgery to delight, and I want you to view your work now, bondservant, as through the lens of this internal perspective that when you are serving your master, the one who's in authority over you, you're actually serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Your work actually has the capability, as you work as unto the Lord, to present and proclaim the gospel to this one who has authority over you. It's really bizarre because in the culture of Crete, people would have looked at this situation and said, well, the one who is obviously free is the master, and the one who is not free is the bondservant. But Paul is saying to the eyes of the gospel, it's actually reverse. Because you have been saved by grace, you're the one who's truly spiritually free, and your master, he is the one who is still spiritually dead, still caught in sin. And so when you view your work now through this lens, it's possible for you who has been truly spiritually transformed, spiritually set free by the blood of Christ to now operate and work in such a way towards this master to where you, through your work, can show and proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to this one who has authority over you. So with this as the background, Paul begins to address people within the church, specifically about their work, and the first thing that Paul shows us is that God's grace transforms our work. We're going to see this starting off in verse 9. God's grace transforms our work. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. So once saved by God's grace, we are freed from our old master, sin, and we are freed to serve our new master, Jesus Christ. Paul uses this kind of language in an argument in Romans chapter 6. And because this is true of us now, we have a new motivation for work. So our horizontal submission to those in authority over us, now serves a greater purpose. Paul makes this same kind of argument if you go into Colossians chapter 3. 
Starting in verse 22, I recommend you write that down and go read it. He takes the same argument and he teases it out even further in Colossians 3. So when you go there and starting in verse 22, Paul says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Very similar to our little phrase that we find here in Titus 2. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. But in Colossians 3, Paul teases out this idea of what does it look like to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He says this, we are to do this not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Paul says, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He says, listen, it basically boils down to this. When you are obeying in everything, those are your earthly masters, ultimately you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is now grounding the vertical realities of our relationship with Jesus Christ, saying, because Christ now is your new master, because Christ has now saved you, and you are now right with him, what you can do now is on the horizontal planes of life, actually go into your workplace on Monday and actually have the ability, by Christ's power in you, to serve that person in authority over you, because when you do that, you're ultimately doing it now with a new motivation of heart. It's not just because, like, the guy will fire me if I don't listen to him. This, the lady who's then charging me as my manager, my supervisor, you know, I want to be on our good side. I don't want to be on our bad side. And so, but Paul says, listen, when you go into work now on Monday morning, what we can do is we can actually look at this man, look at this woman, and say, I genuinely now have a new desire in me to serve you and honor you because ultimately when I do that, I'm doing so in light of my relationship with Jesus Christ. So as a result of God's saving grace, our new purpose in work is to actually serve and not to be served. See, God's grace also affects our work in that bond servants are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. So there's this aspect of God's power is transforming grace in us that leads us to serve others and not be served ourselves, but it also leads us, it affects us in our work by actually leading us to be well-pleasing in our work and not argumentative in our work. So in our actions and in our speech, we have some of the greatest opportunities to bear witness for Jesus Christ in the workplace. Day in and day out, Monday through Friday, week upon week, month upon month, year upon year, you and I have unprecedented opportunities to release the aroma of Christ when we work in a well-pleasing manner and complement our work with speech that is genuinely pleasant. If you go into Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 We find Paul who is thanking God, and he's thanking God who uses us, and this is the verse, to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. And so we all have a category for this. We know the difference between a pleasant aroma and an offensive aroma. 
So next week, we're going to be having some of our hospitality team bringing in some extra food. And as those team members start bringing in extra food, there is going to be an incredibly pleasant aroma in this room as you walk through the door. Miss Jan's going to be bringing some food. Meredith Flynn's going to be bringing her sausage balls. And if you haven't had them, they're good, and you need to eat them. And you're going to walk in, and there's going to be something pleasant, something winsome, something that makes you go like, man, like I showed up on the right day for church today, right? There is something pleasant, and I'm glad I'm here. There's something welcoming about this aroma. But if next week I'll come walking in through the doors because today I made a decision, you know what? I'm going to just do my best to not shower at all for the next week to sweat as much as I can sweat, to get as dirty as much as I can get dirty. So when I walk through the door, I will be carrying my own aroma, but it will not be a pleasant aroma. It will be an offensive aroma. And we know the difference between the two, between the pleasant aroma of some phenomenal dish that Jan Cheshire cooks up and the unpleasant, offensive aroma of a person who hasn't showered for a week. And Paul's point is that grace-transformed people are to be the former pleasant aroma in the way that we work. We will emit the aroma of something in the workplace. Through your behavior and through your speech, you are going to give off something to other people around you. And Paul says we are to emit the aroma of Christ as we work to please those in authority, Ephesians chapter 6, serving with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men. So in the workplace, instead of mouthing off and talking down your boss behind their back, the grace-transformed servant of Christ is to guard their speech so they may not sin with their words. I'm sure you've seen it before, maybe in the workplace, maybe online, where someone makes the claim of being a person who's been saved and transformed by grace, but their actions and their speech do not release the aroma of Christ. I know the claims they're making. I know how they claim to live. But because of their speech and their argumentative nature and how they are just genuinely not well-pleasing in their actions, they are giving off the aroma of not Christ. And people pick up on that. And they begin to draw wrong conclusions about the gospel. And so the first thing we see is that God's grace transforms our work. But then when Paul switches down into verse 10 we begin to see that God's grace also transforms our character. So Paul says, listen, bondservants are to be not pilfering. Old school word means thieving, stealing. They're not to take things that are not theirs. Instead, they're to show all good faith. And I think the reason why Paul does what he does there sort of addresses the how we work in verse 9, and then says these two things down here in verse 10, moving from sort of the externals of work down to the internals of the heart, is because he understands that there is a way to go into work on Monday morning and be submissive in our actions. Like, you can go into Monday morning and sort of be like well-pleasing on the exterior, sort of biting your tongue and not being argumentative to your coworkers on the outside, while all the time harboring in your heart an attitude that is entirely different from the externals of your work. 
And so Paul says, listen, God's grace doesn't just address the externals of life. God's grace actually pierces the heart and changes heart attitudes so that as our heart attitudes are changed, it begins to affect the externals of life. So Paul's just preaching the holistic gospel, saying God's grace affects the externals because God's grace ultimately affects the internal attitudes of the heart. So Paul shows that the power of God's grace, it not only affects the externals, it goes directly after the internal attitude of the heart. Grace-transformed people, Paul says, are to be honest, not pilfering. They're to be marked by integrity. They're to be trustworthy. They're to be faithful, showing all good faith. So what this means is that we don't take what belongs to another while justifying in our mind that we've earned it or that we deserve it. In short, Paul is just making an argument that we are to be faithful, which is a fruit of the Spirit. So you go into Galatians chapter 5, there's a way to walk in the flesh, and there's a way to walk in the Spirit. And Paul says, when we go into work, this is a prime opportunity for the fruit of the Spirit to work its way out in us, starting with the internal attitude of the heart, and then working its way out into the externals of how we actually work. The point is that God's grace is so transforming us from the inside out that we actually prove ourselves trustworthy in just the way we do our, do our jobs. No one needs to come over and look, at your, look over your shoulder all the time. It's like, I can't trust. Like, I know what I told you to do, but like, I can't trust you to go off and actually do that because you've proven over and over and over again that you're just not, you're not trustworthy. We don't go into work motivated by how many corners we can cut or how many angles we can scheme on this deal for our advantage. We recognize that others may cheat the boss, but we don't do that. Others may betray the boss with their words, but we don't join in when that takes place. Others may become embittered at their boss, especially if they work for an unjust man or an unjust woman, but we recognize I'm not going to go down that path because the moment I go down that path, I find myself in disconnect from what I say I believe and my behavior, and I want my behavior to preach a gospel message. So I'm not going to go to the water cooler and join in all the, bo- the bashing of my boss because they are operating or thinking or acting in a certain way. I mean, it's as practical as this. I mean, this is just like practical Christianity, the way God's grace informs us. It's like, listen, I'm just not going to go there. Not because I'm better, not because I have the power within me, but genuinely, as the Holy Spirit leads me, bearing the fruit of honesty and faithfulness, causing me to bite my tongue, I'm just going to live differently in the workplace because I know the power of Jesus Christ in me is genuinely changing me. I may not be able to stand up and do what I do. Like, my job is the job of proclamation. Like, I get to get up and just talk. Like, I am one out of about 80 right now. So for 79 of us, your job of proclaiming the gospel is, I hope you don't go and do this on Monday morning. Stand up on your desk and try to repeat what I'm doing. Like, that's a surefire way to get released from your job. But you have the phenomenal opportunity to proclaim the gospel through your behavior. I remember when I was at UPS, when I worked in, working on my MDiv over in Louisville, 
I found myself in that place. I mean, if, there was, if there's ever an opportunity in life to just sort of be a disgruntled worker, it's in sort of like the blue-collar realm. Where like you're just sort of sweating it out, and your supervisor isn't really there with you, right? He's just over there to make sure you're really sweating it out like you're supposed to be. And if there was ever an opportunity to bash your boss and join in, it was there working from like 2.30 in the morning to like 9.30 in the morning, just day in and day out in a pretty meaningless sort of grunt, grunt work kind of job. But there were specific opportunities that came along when like I, I didn't quite do what I should have done, but there were opportunities when, by God's grace in me, when something was happening, God prevented me from joining in, and it actually stood out because everyone else is doing it. And then God used me in that moment. And that became an opportunity to speak a better word about the gospel. I'm telling you guys, when you go into work on Monday, fueled by God's grace in your life, walking in a manner that lines up with Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you are going to stand out at work. Because people are just going to look at you and go like, what's your deal? Like, you're working like we're working, but this is completely different. Like, what is the motivating factor here in the way that you work? And Paul's point is that the motivating factor here is not so that you can stand out as some sort of, like, holier than thou, I'm better than you, looking down my nose, how much better my life is than yours. Look how together I've got it. Look how not together you've got it. That's not the point. Paul says the ultimate motivation is when we are gripped by God's design for our work, we recognize that our work has a greater purpose. And that's what the last part of verse 10 is about. Look what Paul says here. Bond servants, listen, be submissive. To those in authority over you, be well-pleasing. Don't go in and be argumentative. Don't, don't be dishonest. Don't be faithless. Because when you do all these things in everything, here it is, into verse 10, you will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. See, when God's purpose for work grips our heart, this is how our work moves from drudgery to delight. God's design for your work and His design for my work is to make beautiful, to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That word adorn is sort of old school, but it simply means this. It's this idea to make something beautiful. In the original language, it's actually this idea. The word adorn is to arrange a jewel. To arrange a jewel. So just as a jeweler can take a diamond and arrange this diamond in a particular way, making its beauty beautiful to the beholder, so, Paul says, our grace-fueled work can do the same with the beauty of God's grace. We can actually make this inherently beautiful thing beautiful to others by the way that we work. That's Paul's connecting point here. So it's not that God's grace is ugly and hideous and it's up to us to make it beautiful. God's grace is inherently beautiful. If you are here this morning and you have been saved by grace, you know the beauty of God's grace. 
We simply get the privilege to actually adorn, to make beautiful this beautiful thing with your behavior at work. But we also need to know that there is a way to make beauty attractive, and it's possible there is a way to make beauty unattractive. Right? So in, in my honest opinion, I've got, I got permission to talk about my wife here, so I gave her the heads up, and so she should not be in shock here. So in, in my opinion, my wife is, is very beautiful, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about physical beauty. Like, I'm talking about the inward beauty of a soul that loves Jesus. Like, my, my wife loves Jesus, and she has a genuine love for people fueled by her love for Jesus. She has a heart of prayer for people because Jesus has transformed her heart. She's wise and she's discerning. She's a wise and discerning wife. She's a wise and discerning mother. There's been too many times in our almost 15 years of marriage where like I'm just sort of traipsing through life and I'm just like assuming like this is it. Like why that person say something? It must have been a bad taco. It's Tuesday. They don't want to be at work. And she's like, no, man, like there's something funky going on. I'm like, okay. And like a week later, it's like, uh, she was exactly right. Like she has, she has wisdom and there's, there's discernment there. She's just She's just classy and short, like my, my wife is beautiful. But now there's a way I can go about adorning her beauty with my behavior, and there's a way I can go about betraying her beauty with my behavior. There's something inherently beautiful about my wife inside and out because of what Christ has done in her. But like I can go about betraying that beauty. I can be hurtful with my words. I can verbally and emotionally abuse her publicly at home or at home. I can neglect her with my actions. I can cut her down in front of others. I can dishonor her to other people. I can backbite, talk about her behind her back, in front of her face. There's ways that I could go about in my behavior making something beautiful unattractive. But Paul's point is that when we do this, think about this in this way, we shouldn't, we shouldn't go there, like right? Because there's a, a way that we can make beauty unattractive, but there's a way that we can do the opposite, and we can adorn beauty with our behavior. So in this instance, what I can do is go, God has done something great in her. God's grace has transformed my wife, and so I don't want my behavior to make something beautiful and attractive. I want my behavior to magnify the beauty of grace in her. So I want to honor her with the honor she's worthy of, love her like Jesus Christ loved the church, care for her with the care that I've received from Christ myself. And really this idea of through our behavior, being able to make beauty attractive or being able to make beauty unattractive this is exactly what Paul's talking about with the gospel of God's grace. Through our work, you and I have the ability to make the beauty of the good news of God's grace attractive to others. And through our work, you and I have the ability to make the beauty of God's grace unattractive to others. In our work, when we are not submissive, when we are not well-pleasing, when we are known in the office as the argumentative one, 
when we are known as the dishonest, pilfering one. When we are known as the faithless, untrustworthy one. Our behavior betrays the beauty of God's grace, plain and simple. But when our behavior flows from a transformed heart, our work will make the gospel attractive. Our grace-fueled work is what beautifies the gospel in a world that desperately needs to see the beauty of the gospel. So as Paul continues, verse 11, he just says, listen, the, the doctrine of God that we adorn. What is this doctrine of God? It's there in verse 11. The doctrine of God is just simply the grace of God, which has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And when God's grace saves us, it does something in us. To put it another way, saving grace will also lead to training grace. Paul says God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, as we wait for our blessed hope, what's our blessed hope? Paul says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, this future promise is what drives our present action. So, Paul's basically saying this, listen, in your work, you have a chance to make the gospel of God's grace really awesome to other people. And what's the motivating fuel for that on, on Monday morning when you wake up? It's actually the second coming of Christ. You have a future hope. When God's grace saves you, you're not just living for the weekend. Right? The song, everybody's working for the weekend. Paul says, not true for the believer. Not true for the believer. Everyone's actually working in light of eternity. is the way it should be. Because we have a future hope, we know that there is coming a day when the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he's coming back. And Paul says, when you have that hope and you stand on that hope and you know that hope and you believe that hope and you trust in that hope and you stand on the foundation of that hope, that future hope will drive present day behavior. It'll drive us to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And so as we go into work tomorrow morning, you just need to know this. It really is possible for our work to be a delight as we work in a manner worthy of the gospel, fueled by the good news of God's grace. It really is possible. So here's how we're going to close. We're going to close just with a, with a time of prayer. If you remember last week, we were in Colossians chapter 4. And if you were at community group this past week, we discussed this as well. One of the things that Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 is he asked the Colossian believers to pray for him. That God would give open doors of opportunity for him to declare the good news of Jesus. And what you need to know is this, from now until this coming Sunday, you guys are going to work 8 to 5 and then some, 40 hours plus. Opportunities are going to abound this coming week where God is going to open up doors through your work 
for you to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ by simply walking in obedience, fueled by the Spirit, fueled by God's grace, submitting to authority, being well-pleasing, not arguing, not pilfering, showing all good faith so that when those moments come, the Spirit's going to nudge you and whisper in your ear, now's the moment to seize. Like I've just swung a door wide open for you and I want you to boldly step right through this and speak how you ought to speak. Be wise in this moment, but say a good word for Christ. So when people look at you and go like, Mally, like, why, why do you live this way? We don't go, well, you know, <laughs> uh, I just really like people and I like St. John's, <laughs> you know. No, we step into that moment and go, well, it's because, because of Jesus. Like, I've done the former too many times. I've been in a place where my work stood out and God swung open a, an, an open door of opportunity and someone point blank asked me, why are you not chiming in bashing your boss like everyone else, and I flat out blew it. I mean, it was just low-hanging fruit. All I had to do was like say, because of Jesus, and I just didn't do it. I didn't seize that open door of opportunity. My prayer is that as we seek to make this a year of making disciples and God nudges those doors of opportunity open before you, that we'd be simultaneously praying, God, help me to seize those opportunities. So that's just what we're going to pray for right now. And the second thing we're going to do is as we pray for those open doors of opportunity, we're going to pray that, you, uh, that God would use you to invite someone to Easter Sunday. If you guys haven't noticed it from last week, all the cards that you guys filled out, for those of us who were, were able to do so, you guys filled out names, and there was a phenomenal response. You can see them right here. And we wanted to put those up in front of one another as a visual reminder of the people that we are seeking to pray for. And so it's not wrong this coming week to say, God, like Easter Sunday's coming. And like in our culture, this is still one of those rare opportunities of like just sort of like a cultural open door. Where like most people will like listen to at least an invitation, most people are still almost willing to just come to church on Easter Sunday. And so what I want to do is just lead us in a prayer by simply just taking the time, praying for open doors this week, so that we can adorn the grace of God in our work. And so then when God grants that open door, we could seize the opportunity just to say, hey, would you... Would you mind coming to church on, on Easter Sunday? Like, it's going to be pretty low-key in the sense of, like, we're going to be singing songs. Eight people are going to be getting baptized. Um, it's going to be a little bit rock. I mean, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. I'm just taking verse 14, and I'm going to unpack some basic, simple truths. Jesus redeems sinners, and Jesus purifies sinners. And this can happen because he came back to life from the grave. We're just magnifying simple truths, and this is going to be an easy, phenomenal way for people in your world to go like, what's the whole baptism thing about? Like, why are you celebrating newness of life? What's that about? What's this Jesus redeems people? What's that about? And then that becomes a continuing conversation that God can use you in your work and in your words to be able to proclaim Christ. So we're just going to transition to a time of prayer. And I want you guys to join with me as we pray.
God, we pray truly for open doors to adorn the grace of God in our work. Some of us are going to just be in a situation where we're just going to be around others, whether that's full-time work, part-time work, temporary work. We're all going to be doing something that looks like work this coming week. And so, God, my prayer is that, Father, we just need you to do what you delight to do, which is give God-given opportunities for us to make the beauty of God's grace, your grace, beautiful. And then, Father, as you open those doors and as you lead us by the Spirit and you nudge our hearts and whisper in our ear, whatever that sort of prompting of the Holy Spirit comes, like now is the time. I've opened this door. Speak as you ought to speak. Speak boldly. Speak clearly. Speak confidently. Speak simply. Friend, would you like to come to church with me on Easter? Friend, can I show you something about the gospel? Can I, can I share with you how Jesus has changed my life? That God, that we would seize these open doors of opportunity so we can invite someone either to church or invite someone to come and know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we need you to do this. We ask you to do this. We plead with you to do this. We believe these are prayers you delight to answer. So open our eyes to these answers when you give them this week, all for the name and the glory of Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.